I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. This is Life Sentences. My name is Kintan Pastrana, and this is a podcast on the best of poetry and prose. In this episode, we'll take on a controversial and yet contemporary novel written by a good friend in Balikbayan, River Run, by Danton Remoto. Well, for this episode, we're going to have a Balikbayan friend talk to us really about his work, uh, something he's written about 20 years ago. Welcome to the show, Danton Ramoto. Thank you, Kintin, for feeding me <laughs> a lot and inviting me here to talk about a book, River Run. The title of the novel is River Run. I just kept it hidden because I thought it wasn't good enough. It's always, as Blaise Pascal, the philosopher writer, said that the greatness doesn't touch just one extreme but touches two at once. And the best prose and poetry are the ones that have a bit of both, right? Poetry that has a narrative line, but at the same time, prose that has a lyrical quality to it. And that's something that both the critics and ordinary readers have said about your book. It does capture some sense of what an audience needs these days, where short attention spans really govern the day. And you think about the kind of... uh, breadth and uh, compactness of the prose. Your chapters are just a few pages long each. Some of them stand alone. And yet they all link together the different chapters. How did this all come about? When I was writing this, these were three or four were separate short stories. And then I wanted to write a novel, but I didn't know how. Because in school, or in the Philippines and in the U.S. where I studied, Literature. We were taught that a novel should be more like beginning, middle, and end, you know. When I was studying in the UK, I bought a book by Milan Kundera, The Art of the Novel. So I read the chapter there that said, A novel can, can appear loose and disjointed as long as the chapters deal with one theme. So here, the subject matter, a young gay man coming out in a colorful and chaotic dictatorship similar to the Marcos dictatorship but the young man here grew up in a military base what I like about your book is the contrast between the personal and the political there's a built intention already but growing up in a military camp for someone who's coming out gay everything is so tactile tangible you know the chapter about the first time the Americans distributed milk <laughs> I mean something as you know something as prosaic as a milk distribution has a poetic air to it and the memories themselves really speak wonders of that age tell us about reliving those experiences in each of those chapters, which have very, very different themes altogether. You know, I wrote the early chapters in longhand in 1993. I got a month-long fellowship in a castle in Scotland with a ghost. No, So it's Hawthorne then Castle. You could rent a typewriter, but so expensive, one pound per day. So that's around 70 pesos. No? So in 1993, if you're a poor writer from the Philippines, 70 pesos a day was a lot of money. So I just wrote by long and I finished 150 pages. And I was surprised because when I was writing it, it everything seemed so clear, no? The the fictional world I was writing, 
and it was so clear. I just had to capture everything that I saw and I smelled and I touched. So I, I wrote maybe six hours per day. Sakit ng kamay ko. <laughs> My fingers were so tired afterward. And then uh, uh, July 1993, I went to a conference in Cambridge and I read one chapter. The Latin Americans went to me and said, where's the Spanish original? Because they said it sounds like a Latin American novel. I said, no, I write in English. And the Eastern Europeans, the Kundera cousins, said to me, you're just like us, you make fun of your country. I said, really? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I was successful in doing that. From the early 90s, I finished this in the year 2000. And I just kept it there because I didn't think it was good enough. Really. It was like 400 pages until Anvil finally published it in the year 2015. Uh, Penguin Random House, Southeast Asia, uh, bought the book. So it will be published uh, International Edition 2020. I think those comments from the different writers, you know, whether they're from Latin America or from Eastern Europe, it does lend well to the Filipino identity. At the end of the day, you have this dark sense of humor, this cariño brutal of a prose, right, that, that, that we do when we, you know, make fun of our own country, our, our sarcasm, our wit. There's just many layers and many modalities of storytelling. You've got storytelling through Sarung Banggi, which is the, the song in Bicol, which you grew up with. You also talk about poetry. And there are many ways to tell that story with different genres, with chapters that are already standalone and yet linked together. The Filipino-ness of the book, that really comes out. But then again, some chapters strike you more than others. Some of them are very long. Like one chapter is like 30 pages. The long, the long chapters were hard to write. The short chapters, like two pages, it just came quickly, you know, like in a dream. No? I mean, I was in the Fulbright Library in the old Thomas Jefferson Library in Makati of the U.S. US Embassy. I read Lillian Hellman's memoirs where she said as a kid... She would hide from the adults, but she could hear them talk about things that you're not supposed to hear as a kid. So here in this chapter, you have uh, the young boy. He was on top of the roof, you know, so he could rest there. But then the two aunties came and talked about sex. So this, <laughs> this is the chapter I will read today. It's called uh, From River Run, a novel, A Dreadful Sunday Afternoon. It was a dreadful Sunday afternoon, the kind of afternoon when it would be impossible to sleep in my room. The sun itself seemed to have taken refuge inside the house. Its rays of heat burned inside your skin. And so I would run out into the backyard, looking at the play of shadowing lights on the leaves of the Arateles tree. Then I would climb the tree heavy with the globes of small red fruits. From the highest branch, I would pretend as if I were jumping from the edge of a cliff. The ravine would be our roof, a soft bed carpeted with serrated green leaves and small brown twigs. From that height, nothing, nothing seemed to move me. And from that height, I could eavesdrop on the chatter of adults without being found out. 
So that summer, while busy eating ratinous fruits on the rooftop, who would cool themselves on the shadow cast by the tree but my two aunts? That day, my mother's spinster sisters, Tita Belia and Tita Armida, were having a merienda of glutinous rice cakes topped with grated coconut meat and cold glasses of soda. Raising their heads and looking around ever so subtly with only their eyes moving and noticing that there was nobody around, the two sisters would begin their stories. Our Nuestra Señora de Guía y Buen Viaje or Our Lady of Good Voyage in Antipolo is more powerful than the Nuestra Señora in Baclaran, Tita Armida began. That may be true, answered Tita Bella, but tell me, how can you hear mass in Baclaran when around you would be the squealing of pigs being butchered for the lechon? Tita Armida, who loved to spin a tail, would answer, But Bella, have you heard the story of the two young lovers in Baclaran? No? Well, then listen. A pair of teenagers would tell their parents they would hear mass at the Baclaran Church on a Sunday afternoon just like this. But really, they would just go to a motel across from the church and do it there. While all along, around them, the pigs squealed and the Dutch priest intoned the sursum corda in an accent that nobody could understand. These young people, Madre de Dios, are such animals. Oh, they are indeed, Armida, they are animals, indeed, Tita Bella could. Anyway, these teenagers told this lie for three consecutive Sunday afternoons. But on the fourth Sunday afternoon, something happened. What? What happened, Tita Bella said? Her fork must have been frozen in midair between the plate in her mouth. On the fourth Sunday afternoon, the fever of their love-making, her vaginal muscles just suddenly locked. Locked. He couldn't withdraw much as he'd like to do because she was squeezing him so tightly. And the pigs squealed for their lives. And the Dutch priest raised his golden ciborium and the two young lovers, oh God, did not bless them. Good for them. They were beginning to turn pale. And then was all Tita Bella could mutter. And then she began to scream and scream and scream. The room boy wondered why she was screaming her lungs out, for the couple had been there three times before. But when he heard him scream, ah! he knew that something was wrong. So the room boy grabbed the key and ran to the room of Mr. and Mrs. Angeles. The names they wrote in the guest book with his oily synthetic plastic cover, and he found the couple, indeed, naked and joined to each other. The room boy gasped, ran down the stairs, and fetched the doctor who lived down the block. Hi, salamat naman, Tita Bella said in mock gratitude. Well, it turned out that this old doctor was a born-again Christian who was scandalized the moment he pushed the door of the motel room and the two lovers joined to each other. After raining down a mountain of curses on the couple in Deshabil, 
he injected the muscle relaxant on her. And then the doctor continued giving them the sermon of their lives, Jesus, Maria, and Joseph, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, doing this in the heat of a Sunday afternoon right in front of the Bakladan church. The young couple was almost dying from shame because the medicine was taking so long to take effect and their organs were really very sore already. But when the medicine did take effect, he quickly withdrew and put on his clothes as fast as he could. She also covered herself modestly with a white blanket, grabbed her clothes, said thank you to the doctor, then walked to the bathroom. When she came out, she was wearing a white dress that was cut way down her knees and a blue sash wound around her waist. She looked like the Virgin Mary. The doctor told them the wisest thing would be to go to church that afternoon, confess their sins, and attend Mass. And so, ushered by the doctor on one side and the room boy on the other side, seemingly ushered by an old angel and the young acolyte, our young Catholic couple finally went to the Mass they have missed the last three Sundays. After hearing this tale, on the rooftop where I sat, I just bit into my aratilus fruit. Its small, white, and moist seeds lay scattered on my palm. Thank you. What can I say? Beggar's description. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I mean, you know, again, you know, the... Uh, the, the literature student or the creative writing student will see in that the kind of devices you use yeah. also in the form of an eavesdrop, you know, in the midst of a thickened air of a cloistered culture, which is our Catholicism roots. And however modern we've become, we never get to escape that, right? Very tactile, very personal, visceral, accessible, and powerful. And more importantly, with the whole book together, it's ready for the world in 2020. When the new version come up, comes out, that unexpurgated portion that you were not allowed to place in will be there. <laughs> Thank you very much, Danton. Happy to collaborate with you again soon. Thank you. This episode was produced by Janina Bagundayo. Life Sentences Podcast is a co-production with Puma Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.